So this is Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacar, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose way of life is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. We'll now go to our reading from Revelation. That was chapter 21, 1 to 4 and 9 to 16. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be with his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Then down to verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven, out of heaven from God. It shone with a, it shone, sorry, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angels who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length, and as wide and as high as it is long." Hi, Uni Church. Great to be with you. Uh, I'll give you a second to flick your Bibles back to Psalm 84. That's where we'll mostly be uh, tonight as we look at God's Word in Psalm 84. And uh, while you're flicking back to that, uh, let me say, yeah, it's great to be with you. If you are here for the first time, my name is Mike and I'm one of the staff members at St. Matt's. I'm normally at 9 and 11 in the morning, but great to be out with you tonight. 
Well, I want to start by asking you if you have a happy place. Uh, a happy place, somewhere that you just you really love to be. Maybe it's a favourite holiday destination, a place that holds special memories or nostalgia for you. Or maybe it's your childhood home, uh, a place whose memory connects to happy times and happy memories. If you could open Google Earth and just kind of rotate the globe and then just tap anywhere on this globe and instantly be there, where would you go? Is there some location on this planet that holds that special sense of place for you, where the sights and the smells just instantly fill you with nostalgic joy? I have a place like that. It's this 20-metre stretch of secluded beach That's about two hours away from Exmouth. Uh, I spent a lot of time on this beach as a kid for family holidays. So this is a place that instantly connects to happy memories of warm sun and family love and laughter and carefree happiness and the beauty of God's good creation. Uh, And about uh, two and a half weeks ago, my wife and I took our three boys uh, to this place, to my favourite place on the planet. And we spent nine days camped here in a caravan and we swam with turtles. Uh, We saw coral and tropical fish and sharks and whales and we played and laughed and the kids built sandcastles and we sunbaked. It was just a wonderful uh, nine days. And we would often stay at this beach until sunset. And every time we went to this beach, there was nobody else there. So any footprint in that photo belongs uh, to us. It was that kind of secluded. And after nine days, we came back to the busyness and the bills and the deadlines of a cold and wet Perth. And this beach has now made it onto the list of my kids' favourite places on the planet. A special place now in their heart, which they've already said, hey, can we go back there uh, next year? Uh, Do you have a place like that? If you think about that place, what emotions start to stir in you, do you think? Perhaps you sense a a deep feeling of nostalgic longing to be transported back to that place or back to that time. Well, that feeling, that feeling is what Psalm 84 is about. So even if you don't have a happy place like that in your life, Psalm 84 wants to give you one. The place that the psalmist really longs to be, it's not a beach, it's the temple. And the mood of the psalm is this deep nostalgic longing to be back at the temple. And that longing to experience the goodness of some kind of certain place, that is what God wants to do in us as his people through that psalm tonight. But it won't be a longing for the temple like the psalmist had. Uh, Rather, it should create in us a longing for a place that's even more wonderful than the temple was. So let's dive into the psalm. Uh, In verse 1 to 4, the psalm says, Blessed are those who dwell in the house of God. Uh, Jump in with me now at verse 1. The psalmist says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So his soul yearns, even faints, to go to the temple. Uh, He loves being at the temple so much that, did you notice, he describes how he's jealous of a bird that makes its nest there and never has to leave. Have a look at verse 3. 
Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. I would have thought that if you were an animal, about the last place on earth that you would want to set up your home is near the altar uh, at the temple. Uh, But the psalmist sees it differently. The psalmist longs for the temple so much, he thinks about a bird that he has seen nesting in the temple complex and he's envious that it gets to stay at the temple and he does not. And that verse gave me a flashback to being about 10 years old and leaving Exmouth, leaving my favourite place on the planet at the end of a family holiday. And as we started our drive back to Perth, I remember seeing a wedge-tailed eagle just hovering and I remember thinking, you lucky bird, you get to stay here in this place of blessedness and beauty. Now, I always thought that was a bit of a weird thing uh, to think. You know, like one of those strange internal monologues that you're really glad that nobody else gets to hear. But I learned this week, it's actually not that strange. The psalmist has the same thought. There's a biblical precedent for that kind of uh, thinking. He's jealous of the bird that gets to stay at the temple. His soul yearns, even faints. His heart cries out for the temple. Why? Why does he have such a strong longing to be at the temple? Well, it's not the architecture that he loves. It's not the Instagram-worthy grandeur of the building. It's not the weather or the sightseeing opportunities. It's the experience. It's the experience of being near God. Because the temple was the place that God dwelt. It's the place he can go and experience being near the one who created him. It's worth remembering the Old Testament context that our psalmist is in. In the Old Testament, the temple was where God's presence was physically manifest. Uh, So here is a diagram of the temple. Now we have the outer courts. uh, The clicker works. We have the out. Yep, there we go. We have the outer courts here, where you've got the basins and uh, the altar, and seemingly from Psalm uh, 84. 84, there's a bird uh, nesting uh, somewhere here which the psalmist is jealous of, so in the pursuit of happiness, I've added that in. Now, if you step from uh, the outer court and into uh, the temple, you get to this room, and then if you go further, then you get to this room, which was the most holy place in the temple. Uh, This is the place where God dwelt. In this room, God physically manifests as fire and cloud. And so the temple is the place that you could go to be near the presence of God in a way that you couldn't anywhere else in the world. And the psalmist's longing to be at the temple is therefore, it's not simply a longing to be in a certain place, but close to a certain person, the person of God who dwells at that temple. And that's why the first thing the psalmist says in verse 1 is, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. And that's why he says in verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. For the psalmist, there is no more beautiful place on the planet that he could be than at the temple and near God's presence. Near the one who created you, who made you in his image near the one who knew you before you were born and knitted you together in your mother's womb, 
near the one who will love you more than anyone else in this world will ever love you and created you to be with him. That's why. That's why the psalmist's soul yearns for the temple, even faints for the courts of the Lord, because there he can be near God. I think it's worth pausing and thinking about how this might uh, apply to us already before we go too far into the psalm. And to do that, I want to tell you about how these words impacted me this week. Uh, I couldn't help this week but feel challenged about my own longing for God. In the psalmist, I see somebody with a deep and passionate longing to be near the presence of God. His soul yearns and his heart and flesh cry out to be near God's presence. But often my longing for God's presence is a little bit more maybe lukewarm, sometimes ambivalent, sometimes academic. This week I found myself looking at the psalmist's passionate longing for the presence of God and something in me felt a little bit jealous about that. I found myself wanting a fresh vision of how great it would be to dwell in God's presence. And that reading from Psalm 21 gives me and us a vision for how great it will be to dwell in God's presence. What we read in Revelation 21 is a vision of the last day, of heaven coming to earth and of the goodness of dwelling in God's presence. Uh, Here is that vision from Revelation, it's on screen for you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now watch all the references here to being in God's presence, look, God's dwelling place is now amongst the people and he will dwell with them, they will be his people and God himself will be with them. The greatest thing about heaven is the experience of being in God's presence in a way that we have never fully experienced before. The angel says it in words, in verse 3, God's dwelling place is amongst the people, he will dwell with them and God himself will be with them. So the angel says it in words in verse 3, but then goes on to say it in pictures, Uh, Here is the picture that he paints in verse 15. The angel measures the dimensions of the new creation, of the new Jerusalem, and it's a perfect cube. Verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long, i.e. a cube. And if we read the whole passage and kind of paint the picture of what Revelation 21 is uh, sketching for us, this is what the new creation, this is what heaven looks like. Uh, Now remember, Revelation is often teaching in picture language, so the new creation or or heaven, it won't literally, I don't think, be a cube, 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000. The cube is picture language. Picture language for what, do you think? Well, picture language for being in the presence of God because where in the Bible is the only other place that a cube is measured out? Well, it's back here at the temple. The most holy place where God dwelt was a cube 
as long as it was wide as it was high. And Revelation pictures heaven as a cube because it's it's, it's way of symbolising that heaven will be like that inner room at the temple, filled with God's presence, where we will dwell forever. And that is something that the psalmist could never fully experience at the temple. He could never go to that holy place in the temple where God dwelt. There were barriers and curtains and walls to keep him at a distance. In fact, nobody could go into that inner room and live because sinners in the presence of a holy God die. Only the high priest could go in and only once a year and only after sacrifice for sin was made so that he wouldn't die in the presence of a holy God. And yet, thanks to Jesus and his one sacrifice to wash us clean of sin, you and I have access to God's full presence in heaven almost as if we were living with God in that most holy place of the temple. That's why when Jesus dies, the curtain at the temple that fences off the most holy place is torn from top to bottom, symbolising that Jesus' death has given us access to the very and full presence of God. And this is why Revelation pictures heaven as a cube, symbolising that heaven is like the most holy place and that living in heaven is like living in the most holy place in the temple, living in God's full and manifested uh, self. So here is the thing. Here's the thing which really challenged me and encouraged me about Psalm 84 this week. The psalmist has this deep and passionate longing for being at the temple, for being near God's presence, and yet... His experience of God was restricted by barriers, walls and curtains. He can't actually be in God's manifest presence. But thanks to Jesus, what you and I will experience in heaven is so much greater than that. So much greater. And yet I'm often a bit apathetic about it. Like I know in my head that heaven will be good and I am genuinely looking forward to it. But I'm often looking forward to it at the same kind of level as I'm looking forward to a great holiday or a new car. And that just should not be. I often lack the vision of how great it will be to dwell in God's presence, for him to flood me with his presence and his goodness. I often lack the conviction of how great it will be to be in the closest relationship with the one who created me, the one who knitted me together in my mother's womb, to be in the presence of the one in whom my soul will find its perfect and final rest. This was in part a very frustrating sermon to write this week because words fail to capture just how amazing and how deeply satisfying to my soul it will be to dwell in God's full presence. And so I think the first application of the psalm for us tonight has to be to encourage us to a much greater vision of how great it will be, of how amazingly joyful it will be to be with God's presence in heaven and to let that vision create in us a deep and powerful longing for that place, a little bit like what the psalmist experiences of the temple. 
How strong is your longing for God's presence in heaven? Do you have a vision of how off the charts amazing it will be? So that that is the thing that you long for more than anything else in this world. Or do you find yourself looking forward to it, just kind of at the same emotional level as you look forward to summer holidays or the end of exams or the starting of a career or any other thing which this life might offer? And now you might say, oh, hang on. Maybe the psalmist is so excited about being at the temple and I'm, I feel a little bit less excited about being with God in heaven because the psalmist can go to the temple whenever he wants, but as for me, I can't experience God's presence in heaven until some point later. Like, it's a little bit hard to be excited about something that often feels so distant. Well, no, it's not. Not if we have a big enough understanding of just how heart-burstingly amazing that will be. That's why it's really important to notice the next section in the psalm. In verse 5 to 7, we see uh, that the blessed also includes those who are on the journey to the house of God. See, these verses describe people that are a long way from the temple, but they're on a pilgrimage. They're on a journey as they slowly cross deserts and valleys on the way to the temple. And just the thought of at some point in the future being in the temple near the presence of God is so wonderful to the psalmist that he says, blessed are those who are even just on the journey to that place. Jump in with me at verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacar, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion, i.e. at the temple. Now, I remember being a kid and our family holiday ending in Exmouth and being sad as we drove for two days from Exmouth all the way back down to Perth. And I remember sitting in the car for two days, uh, seeing people in the opposite lane driving north, caravans in tow, and I remember thinking, oh, you're so lucky. You are on the road to that blessed place. Your journey is just beginning. And in some way, that's how the psalmist thinks about those who are on the journey to the temple to be near God. Blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, he says, verse 5. And I love the image that he paints for us in verse 7. Verse 7, they, that is those on the journey to the temple, they go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. So instead of getting weaker and more tired the longer that journey goes on, the psalm pictures them as getting stronger the closer they get to the temple. Kind of like a marathon runner, perhaps, who senses that the line is approaching and gets a shot of adrenaline and extra energy to power them on. The pilgrims, their strength rises as they sense they're getting closer to the temple, closer to that place where they can be near to God. Why don't I feel like that about my journey to heaven? Especially seeing as my destination of heaven is way better than their destination of the temple. Uh, If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus, then you, like me, 
are a pilgrim. Year by year, getting closer to that experience of being in God's presence in heaven. Year by year, just getting closer to that very thing that we were created for, to be with God. So what if, at every birthday, I didn't say, oh, another year older? That's something that you'll eventually say. But what if every year I didn't say, oh, another year older, but instead excitedly said, oh, yeah, another year closer. Another year closer to the best thing I am ever going to experience in my life. Another year closer to the very thing that I was created for, to dwell with God in heaven. We're so conditioned to think about life as this thing which is running out. But I wonder if we should think about life as ramping up, ramping up to the greatest experience that you and I will ever, ever have of dwelling with God in heaven. And with every passing year, the level of anticipation and desire should grow stronger. Or in the words of the psalm, describing those journeying towards the temple to be in the presence of God, they go from strength to strength until each person appears before God. See, again, this psalm kept making me ask myself this week, why aren't I like this? My destination is far better than the psalmist's destination. Why aren't I like this? Is it that I don't have a big enough, grand enough, glorious enough vision of what it will be like to dwell with God in heaven? Or is it that I'm just too easily pleased with the things of this world. I think that is one of the dangers for us, living in an affluent place like Perth. Is that why I feel more excited about the countdown to my next holiday or more excited about the countdown to some other kind of great thing than I am excited about the countdown of my journey to stand in God's presence? And I assume that I'm not the only one who feels like this. And I wonder if the thing that we really need is the thing which the psalm gives us in the closing section. Because the reason why the psalmist feels so strongly about the temple and God's presence is that he knows that being in the house of God is better than anything that this world will ever offer him. Have a look at verse 10. It's such a great verse. Verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Maybe the reason why I don't share that same kind of zeal that the psalmist has for being in God's presence is maybe because I just don't fathom how much greater that will be in heaven rather than anything else this earthly life offers me. And sometimes I think about heaven as just a remade version of this life, but with all the bad bits edited out. But our experience in heaven won't simply be the absence of the bad things. It will also include the elevation of all the good things to a far, far greater experience, because even the best things in this life are still tainted by sin. They're still dysfunctionally broken All the good things in this life are pale 
compared to what it will be like to be flooded with God's presence and goodness in heaven. I want to give you a practical example of, I think, how this might change stuff for us in life. Uh, So two weeks ago, uh, our family holiday in my favourite place on the globe in Exmouth uh, ended and as we were uh, packing up, um, our three kids were really quite uh, sad and um, Vicky and I took the chance to say to them, hey, we know that these nine days that you experienced in this beautiful part of God's creation were amazing. We experienced whales and turtles and coral and sunsets and laughter and family love. And it's kind of great uh, that uh, this is now one of your favourite places on the globe and that you really want to come back here one day if we can. But we want you to know something. We want you to know that your eternity in heaven is going to be so much better than this. So much better. Because we will be flooded with God's presence. And no good thing will he withhold. And there will be no sin. And there will be no brokenness. And it won't end in ten nights and nine days. It'll be forever. Thanks to Jesus, your eternity in the new creation is going to be so much better than whatever high point your earthly life offers you. Uh, that's what we said to them. And this week I was, I was really um, disappointed that I didn't also think to say Psalm 84. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Now, if that line was true for the psalmist to say of the temple, which limited God's presence behind walls and curtains, then my goodness, how much more will it be true of our experience in heaven? Where washed clean by the blood of the Lord Jesus, we can dwell in God's full and holy presence forever. That will be mind-blowingly, heart-burstingly good And that's why the psalmist's soul yearns, even faints, and his heart and flesh cry out just to be near God at the temple. Because he knows that being in the house of God is better than anything that this life will ever offer him. Do you know that? Do you feel that? Because the application of Psalm 84 is really targeting our hearts, I think. Psalm 84 wants to create in our hearts a deep and powerful longing for being in God's presence. A longing for heaven that flows from a vision of just how amazing it will be to dwell in the presence of God. And it wants to do that, that we might be strengthened for our journey as pilgrims through earth until we each appear before God. You know, when I worked in a large engineering firm, the walls of people's cubicle told the story of the places that their hearts really longed for. Because the places that their hearts longed for were often seen in photos on cubicle walls or pictures on their screensavers and monitors. Reminders of the destination that their hearts longed for and used as motivation to just get through another year of work. Well, friends, here is the photo that Psalm 84 is encouraging us to hang in the cubicles of our hearts. Or something like it that captures the vision and the glory of heaven. That we we might almost have this homesickness 
for heaven. A longing for heaven that flows from a clear vision of just how amazing it will be to dwell in God's presence. That we might be strengthened for our journey as pilgrims through our life on earth until we each stand before God in heaven. And so uh, let me close by asking you, what is it that is framed in the cubicle of your heart? So we're going to spend some time uh, singing in response. Thanks. Thanks.